Tony Stark is back. So are we. Welcome to the MCU Quarantine Gauntlet, a podcast that explores the entire MCU universe one film at a time. I'm your host, Luke Shoemaker, and with me, as always, is my suit-stealing co-host, Graham War Machine Thomas. Graham, if you try to escape during quarantine or play any sort of games with me, I will tase you and watch Super Nanny while you drool into the carpet. All of that being said, have you ever watched Super Nanny, and why was that Coulson's first choice in this movie? I have not seen Super Nanny, and I have no idea why Phil Coulson would say such a thing. However, I have seen Mr. Nanny, starring the immortal Hulk Hogan, where he dresses in a leotard. What a fun movie. And honestly, there are parts of Mr. Nanny that I enjoy more than Iron Man 2. <laughs> Mr. Nanny is an absolute must-watch. Like, if you grew up in the 90s and you haven't seen Mr. Nanny, I agree. It's a must-watch for sure. Super Nanny, I guess he says it because that was a show. It's literally about a woman that's like Mary Poppins. She's like a professional nanny who goes into people's homes and watches them and helps their kids. So I guess he's he's saying he's Super Nanny the Tony. I have no idea. I don't know. I, I, I would have to see it to, to really understand what Phil's talking about there. But it's not the first time that Phil Coulson's ever referenced something I didn't understand. So yeah, Touche. Um, so Iron Man 2. Give us opening thoughts, information. We'll go through cast later on, but just tell me uh, your first watch and on rewatch. So I, I remember exactly the day I saw Iron Man 2. Uh, we weren't living uh, in town here at the time. I was having to commute back and forth. So whenever I come to town, you know, I was here for the day. And you know what that, you know what that's like. There's not a lot of back and forth when you're driving 30 to 40 minutes to go to work. So uh, we got done with our newspaper that afternoon on a Friday. And later that night, I had my very first Siloam Panthers spring football game. But I had a little bit of a window in between where I could go do something. And, um, you know, so I went, went to and saw my first movie ever at the Siloam 6 Theater, you know, and it was Iron Man 2. And, um, you know, and thinking about Iron Man 2, like, I, you know, I liked Iron Man just fine. I was excited about Iron Man 2. You know, as you'll talk about later, the, you know, the trailers look good. And, um, you know, the only two movies we had at that point, if I'm not mistaken, were Iron Man and Hulk. And, I, you know, I went, when I left the theater, I wasn't disappointed. I had fun. Um, I didn't think it was great by any means, but when you're, when you're a young father with two small kids who rarely gets to go to the movies, you're excited to see anything. And up to that point, the only other movie I had seen in the theater was Avatar during that whole time period. Just, it's just tough to get out and go to the movies sometimes when you're, when you're a young father and you're broke. So I was really happy to see Iron Man 2. But as we moved on in the Marvel Universe since then, the, the movie just keeps slipping farther and farther down the list. Um, that's where I was in, in 2010 in the spring uh, when we saw Iron Man 2. Isn't it amazing that it's been a decade since this was released? Yeah. <laughs> oh, how time has, fl has flown by. You know, this was released May 7th of 2010, so it comes out. I had just made the decision that I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. I had substitute taught. Um, on Fridays when I didn't have class and I was like, I want to switch my major. And in fact, 
I took a final the same day I went to watch this with a few friends and me and that group, we were really pumped about it because we, you know, we loved the first one and the trailer came out and it seemed to depict a movie with like more Iron Man than I could have ever possibly imagined. And you get to see War Machine in the armor. You get to see Mickey Rourke, who's coming off of Wrestler and he's playing Whiplash, and he gives this speech in the trailer, and you think, man, this dude's going to be an amazing villain. This is going to rock. And I left that night, and I still thought it was great. I like you. I thought it was fun. I was entertained. I was such a Tony Stark fanboy that all the action sequences, and you get to see the Stark shield start to grow, and it was entertaining and fun. And then on rewatch, I started to try to separate my personal feelings and put on my critical goggles. And I saw, you know, several of the flaws. Rourke isn't at his best. Story kind of goes down this shield path while trying to intertwine Tony. And there's just a lot going on. And, you know, further down the road, I'm starting to see what you meant by the longer Tony plays Iron Man, the better he becomes. And how some of his best roles may not even have been in Iron Man films. You know, it, it's still entertaining, but rewatch, it's not, it's not going to be one of my favorites out of all of these. But it's a lot, it's crazy how drastic my views have changed in 10 years. And some of that has to do with maybe where I've gone in life with life experience. Yeah, and I, you know, I agree. I mean, I, you go back to the, the whole thing we, we said about some of the best work that, that Robert Downey Jr. did as Tony Stark is still to come. You know, and I think that's only, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen, you know, like I, I can't say that, uh, let's just, for example, take Christopher Reeve as Superman, you know, probably the best job he ever did as Superman was in the very first Superman. And they just don't necessarily get better after that. And maybe that's the writing. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else. Um, but with Tony Stark, I feel like as this is the sequels and other movies go on, he gets better. and. And that's a good thing. And there, there are some really great moments in Iron Man 2 for him, you know, where he, you know, you see him becoming that character um, that, that we all know him to be at this point. Yeah, it's like drafting a, a, you know, a young prospect and then watching them just get better and better and better in their career until they hit that, like, peak MVP season and you're winning titles. He kind of did that in this arc. So, like I said, it comes out May 7th. Uh, 2010 domestically it brings in 312 million worldwide it brings in 623 million so we're over the how, billion mark how did that how did that rank up on uh with uh with the first one i can't remember i don't have the, those stats in front of me but that's about on par with what the first iron man did right i think it's right around the same um i know that when i did some dive into box office mojo for you know the all-time rankings and some of that skewed because of like what year it came out uh, but hulk was last dead last obviously Endgame was first um i think iron man 2 fell somewhere in the middle uh, according yeah. to box office mojo it is 15th wow. and is a roughly domestically it's about six million away from iron man 1 and that's just domestic numbers. But its opening weekend was $30 million more than Iron Man 1. So obviously the buzz had created that huge crowd coming in to watch it. You know, early Doctor Strange, what if universe, what if they were to make another Iron Man single, you know, 
single film like Iron like not, just for the lack of words calling it Iron Man four, you know, it would it would bring in a ton. Way more than what Iron Man two brought in, I think now, just because of everything that's happened since then. Even Iron Man three right now, lifetime gross is in the top ten. So yeah, I agree. Well, with I think you. the Avengers the Avengers factor has to be brought in there because after the Avengers, everything was huge. You know, every Cap movie, every Thor movie, every, you know, anything was going to be big after the Avengers. Because that's really what, you know, in my mind, put them on the map was when they I, finally got to that point. I agree. I, I definitely agree. The Walt, the Walt Disney factor plays in because with Iron Man 2, we're still in Paramount Pictures mode. But you combine Disney and you combine Avengers, it definitely set off quite a run. So we talked cast. We don't want really to talk too much for our listeners out there. We really dove deep into Robert Downey Jr. on our last time we covered Iron Man. So we're not going to break down so much his filmography and a lot of his career. If you haven't listened to that, please go check it out. Instead, let's, uh, let's dive into things about him with Iron Man. I'm going to ask you some questions. So what makes him so likable, Robert Downey Jr., as Iron Man? So I think it's his personality and his cockiness slash arrogance. You know, if he wasn't so egotistical and conceited, there would be no appeal to his character. He'd just be another rich, you know, genius, I guess. And it's that. um, But also you have this newfound morality and noble calling, which, you know, keeps getting better and better with, with every film that Iron Man makes an appearance in. Um, And, it's like he's maturing slowly before our very eyes and you know, and then eventually he becomes the spoiler alert, the guy that we see that we, and we mourn so much at the end of Endgame. So I think it's, it's, um, it's the arrogance. It's the, it's the cockiness. It's the personality that, that makes him likable. I think you hit the nail on the head and it's, Sometimes it's even over-the-top cockiness, but for some reason you just have to love it. So what did you think about his performance in this one? I thought for the most part he was, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was really good as Tony Stark. Um, As I said, he's better as we go on, but I didn't really think there was anything bad about his performance in in Iron Man 2. Um, You know, you can say what you want in this movie about script and the, you know, corporate interference. Um, yeah, John Favreau did did what he you know I guess had to do, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, I think for the most part, I give him a B plus on this one. Not bad. Not a bad grade. Is this version of Tony? We talk about his transformation as a human being. Is this our real, real eye-opening into the changes he wants to make for the world and within himself? A lot of that is predicated on what's going on with his health issue, but is this that real eye-opening version of Tony? No, I, th- I feel like we got that eye-opening in Iron Man 1, actually. It was just kind of a continuation. You know, when he in Iron Man 1, when he starts realizing what all the damage is doing and then you know, has the press conference and all that, I think all that starts then. We get to see more of it in Iron Man too, but um, and you see it in other movies as well. You know, even in the Civil War when he feels like the Avengers need to sign the Accords. Um, 
Yeah, I think of Avengers when, remember, for our listeners, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, but in Avengers when Cap says, you're never going to be the guy who lays his life on the line. And if you had just saw the first hour of Iron Man 1, you would probably believe that. But he has this huge character development where ultimately throughout all of them, he's the guy, he's willing to do whatever it takes and almost without fear, which is incredible. So Gwyneth Paltrow reprises her role as Pepper Potts. You know, we talked about her a lot last time as well. So same thing with Paltrow. What did she add to this film? Um, you know, my wife had an interesting perspective on this one. She thought that Pepper had a 180 degree turn into what her character was all about. You know, she felt like in the first one, Pepper would do whatever Tony asked her to do. And, and this one, she's the one who's kind of in charge. So it was a different perspective on her character. And, um, you know, after Tony names her CEO of Stark Enterprises and all that. So uh, just to, I like Pepper Potts and I like the way Gwyneth Paltrow portrays her. My wife doesn't really care for it. And I, I you know, this is the second time we watched it together and I don't understand um, why necessarily. But, you know, I don't have the woman's perspective either. So um, I like, you know, the the pepper pots that we eventually get after these Iron Man movies are over with. You know, the one that um, is presented all the time after that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm with your wife on that analysis. It's, he, she goes from assistant to CEO. And then literal, you know, those are just titles, but literally from assisting Tony and mostly, like you said, doing what he says to like wearing the pants in their dynamic, like, no, Tony, we're not doing that type of thing. And it was an interesting turnaround and just, you know, that quick and two years later in the movie, were you a fan of the growing relationship and the role within the story? Do they do a good job of, how they've slowly progressed the romanticism between them. Yeah. You know, I was ready for it at the end of this one. I mean, I felt like it was time. Um, can you imagine though, if they waited to like Iron Man three to finally do that? That I post mean, Avengers. Yeah. It would have been insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so in casting, this is where we finally get into some new people. So we have Don Cheadle, the new Colonel James Rhodey. Rhodes. Wait, not Terrence Howard? Oh, yeah. Go back and listen to our last podcast. You'll hear all about the Terrence Howard issues and why he's no longer with these films. But we get Don Cheadle. He's a one-time Oscar nominee for Best Actor in Hotel Rwanda. Studio gave him one hour to decide on a six-picture deal as War Machine. One hour. And he was at his kid's birthday when they called him. I think he has so much range as an actor and it's on display in this film. You know, he has moments where he can be like funny and he can be charming, but he has also these other moments where he can have that dramatic effect that we really need, especially in this story arc with some of the stuff that's going on with Tony. He's a talented actor and he's got a lot of films with a higher entertainment factor. He had like an MVP type run in 04 and he gets nominated for that Oscar, but he also plays in the movie that wins best picture. And then he also does Ocean's 12, which his role as Basher is hilarious to me. It's, it's uh, something that's crucial to those movies, I believe. 
for me, when I see him or hear his voice, because he also does some animated roles, I'm drawn to the screen because I enjoy just listening to him and watching him do his thing. Yeah, going back to the the whole, you know, one hour to decide, I would love to know who they had in mind, who, who was next on the list to get an hour, you know? I've scoured the the universe on, you know, luckily we have all the, you know, world at our fingertips technology-wise, and I cannot find any other casting possibilities. Maybe they were blu- maybe they were bluffing him. Maybe they were just... <laughs> You know, and he didn't have the kind of clout at that point to be able to call their bluff, but I'm glad he accepted the deal. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Don Cheadle in the Ocean's 11, 12, and 13 movies. That, those are my wife's three favorite movies, so we watch them quite a bit around here when they're on TV or whether we're – you know, we've already wore out like three copies of the Ocean's 11 DVD. It's so. very rewatchable. Oh, it's so much fun, too. But, you know, the movie Traffic was outstanding. Uh, that was just such a good movie. I even like Don Cheadle in the, the Family Man with Nicolas Cage oh, and Mi- yeah. Mission to Mars. And um, you know, Mission to Mars gets kind of panned a little bit. I enjoyed it though. I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of the Mars movies I do, and I don't know. There's something about that. Maybe it's because it's, it's literally the closest planet to us. But yeah, that's a good but one. Ever since you know he started in with with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, most of his stuff is notable is from that you know era so it's like you get wrapped into that universe and who knows what you know you might get called in to work on a thor movie or a civil war or avengers whatever it is and you gotta be ready to go he did say when he was trying to like you know he he was like an hour this is a six picture deal that could take a decade and he was spot on because we had Endgame come out last summer so about nine years of his life was dedicated to this universe he does do the television series Black Monday on Showtime, which apparently is a great watch. And he's also going to be in the 2021 Space Jam, a new legacy film with LeBron James. But yeah, from 2010 to 2020, like you said, it's he's War Machine. Well, it's like the blink of an eye, right? Because we were just talking about how, you know, does it really seem like it was 10 years ago? But heck, in the spring of 2010, um, it was, you know, the in our um, our work with the newspaper, and I've I've talked about this in the newspaper about, you know, having covered state soccer finals every year since 2011. 2010 was the year I didn't get to get to get to have a state soccer final, and so maybe there was a little more time for Marvel comic movies at that point during that yeah. spring because there wasn't a lot going on for me at that point, but. Um, Anyway, that's another discussion. I, I think for I know where podcast. we. I think I know where we both stand on him and the universe, and how much we do enjoy him. And not a knock on Terrence Howard. We just think he's better, right? Do you agree on I'm that? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So our other new introduction: Scarlett Johansson as Natalie Rushman, aka Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow. She wanted this part so badly that she dyed her hair red because she wanted to convince the studio that she was the Black Widow. She's a two-time Oscar nominee, and both of those came in the last year. One of the few actresses to ever receive a nomination for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, nominated Best Supporting Role for Jojo Rabbit and Best Actress for Marriage Story. 
What a year for her when you do those two. You get some callbacks to Endgame. She had just done Infinity War. For me, she first burst on the scene in 2003 where she was opposite Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. And then after that, she put together, you know, quite a run with a lot of movies that I enjoy and love. She has the perfect score. She does The Island with Ewan McGregor. She does The Prestige, which is one of my favorite Nolan films. She does The Other Bowling Girl. She's just not that into you. She's the voice in her. And then she does all these MCU roles. And then she still has time to put out these other projects. I love me some Scar Joe. You know, one of the, the, the coolest parts about um, going through this with my wife is that her favorite character in the whole series is Black Widow. She loves Black Widow. She was really looking forward to seeing the Black Widow movie. She's even gone as far as to research on Amazon some Black Widow graphic novels she might like to read. Wow. I mean, isn't that amazing? She's all in. It's that, it's, yeah. I think she is more of a character. They try to put a shout, Mark, Captain Marvel as something as a female to try to get that audience. We even have the scene in Endgame when all the women at one point are in the battle. But they've had their hero the whole time, it sounds like, with your wife. <laughs> she loves, like, she even made that, a comment the other day about how much she loves Black Widow. And, and she, you know, so Black Widow in this movie uh, brings out quite a few, uh, when she and Happy Hogan are fighting the goons in the, in the building. And, you know, she's got all these toys she's pulling out to, to beat them up with. And Amy said, why doesn't she have these toys in the other movies? You know, all these special <laughs> weapons and all that. She has like a Batman utility belt and Happy even calls her out and says, what are you wearing? <laughs> that that was a fun moment, though. You know, where he's like, hey, I got mine. And yeah. she's like knocked out a whole platoon. of, of Just of, the whole hallway is clouded with <laughs> bodies and he's, you know, excited about his one takedown. So speaking of characters who I think are fun, uh, Sam Rockwell plays Justin Hammer, one of our two villains in this film. He's a two-time Oscar nominee with a win in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri that came out in 2018. The first time I really saw him on screen was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I had read the novelization, and he really embodied, for me, Zaphod Beeblebrooks. Like, I saw wait, wait, the you read the novelization or the novel that the movie is based on? That's what on. I meant. Sorry, I've read both. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me strike back there. I read the novel that came out well before the movie i watched that and then i read the novelization in fact i had a teacher that actually required us to read the novel which was no problem for me you know we get some reads in high Classic. school you get some reads in high school where you're like ah these are rough and then you got something like this that i was interested in he went on to garner a lot more attention though he plays in the assassination assassination of jesse james um Another great role for him opposite Brad Pitt. He does movies like Choke, Frost Nixon, Moon, which Graham is a, as sci-fi goes. If you haven't seen Moon, Moon is a trip, man. You got you to gotta watch it because it's a very unique story. He's essentially a man that's like a outside contractor that has to spend so many years on the moon doing one specific job. And then there's, he's just, he's all alone. You get another like robot, kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the plot twists in it are just so bizarre. It's one of the first things I ever got on Netflix when they did the mail-in DVD exchange. Um, 
you know, he, he obviously got his shot here at the MCU, and he, we'll get into casting later. Uh, but his last three years is what I want to talk about, because if you're right now, if you're in quarantine and you're looking for something to watch or binge on, movies he's put out, Three Billboards, Vice, and Jojo Rabbit, they're all great films, and he puts together great performances. In Vice, I really think that George W. Bush is sitting there, and it's actually Sam Rockwell. That's impressive. You know, I think the only the only movie I've seen out of this list would have been The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and he was a complete jack beep in that. And he was supposed to be. That's, you know, the Zaphod Beeblebrox is, is in – I kind of feel like he was kind of goofy in this movie in Iron Man 2, um, and maybe he's supposed to be. Um, you know, a funny thing, the, the wife thought that he sounded like the voice of Syndrome from The Incredibles. And um, he does kind of sound like Jason Lee a little bit. but I could see um, Jason Lee going on some of these rants. I also could see Vince Vaughn. I know I keep drilling that in. I just want him in the in the universe so badly. But when he goes on some of those, like, impromptu rants, it's very Vince Vaughn-like. But it, like you said, he is kind of supposed to be goofy because in the comics – when Obadiah Stane gets knocked out, Justin Hammer takes over that company and he becomes the new CEO rival for Stark. And he has kind of like the movie portrays, he's not as good at the job as Tony is. Yeah. Well, um, you're a little more high on um, <clears throat> Mr. Rockwell than I am, but uh, I, I didn't, probably need to see a few more movies of his to maybe appreciate his performance a little bit more i think so speaking of performances mickey rourke is ivan vanko so mickey rourke rourke is a tough one for me because most of his career he's like been a scumbag or he's been some like backup guy in an action movie and the, one of the first roles i remember him in is rainmaker where he plays a smaller role, but he adds to that Grisham adaptation with the young Matt Damon as Bruiser Stone. He was in Point Blank. So the first two movies I've ever really seen him in, in one he plays a scumbag, that would be The Rainmaker. And then in Point Blank, there's your backup role in an action movie. I don't ever remember seeing him in anything else besides Desperado 2, where he dies like really quick. He does Sin City, but The Wrestler, that was like, like, what a great look into that genre for people who are huge wrestling fans mm-hmm. and about attempting a comeback in your life. It, it has, you know, one of the most open-ended endings that people could argue about in a film. And then, you know, he what gets this role of Vanko. Man, the Russian accent for me was rough. Going back to the open ending in The Wrestler, what was that? I can't remember what it was. So, you know, he does the match uh, with his old nemesis or whatever, the the whole thing that's been building up to. And he has this scene, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's been shown throughout the movie he's struggling with his health. Mm. And he gets on the top rope and he goes to plunge off to jump on the dude and we can see him holding his heart as he does it, like he's about to have a heart attack. And when he jumps, we kind of see him almost look like he's about to faint or, you know, die. But then it cuts to black before we see any of it. Oh, yeah, you know, it's been 10 years as, or, or more since I've seen that movie. And, you know, 
at the time of Iron Man 2, when they were casting, you know, Mickey was probably a slam dunk choice because he was, you know, just come off that great performance in The Wrestler. And, um, you know, I read in the trivia where, like, you know, he went out of his own pocket to get the gold teeth and the tattoos and some of the things for this film. And, and that's, I mean, that's some some serious devotion to your craft. And, but yeah, the accent just doesn't, this doesn't work for me. He just, I don't know. They didn't even have to use, like, in the comics, it's Anton, his father, is in the comics. Like, there's not really an Ivan Venka. So, I don't know why they had to use someone being Russian. I, I guess, I mean, it is what it is. But, like you said, at that time, Mickey Rourke was like, a, oh, yeah, for sure. Let's use him. It's very similar as far as the physicality of the role. Let's use Mickey Rourke. So... We have Samuel L. Jackson, of course, with a lot larger Nick Fury role. We'll talk a little bit of why that happened later on. We get our boy Clark Gregg, and then we also get to see more insight into Howard Stark, played by John Slattery. He plays mostly, from my memory, what I've seen him in was in Mad Men. He plays uh, one of the executives in that show, and he does a great job. And I thought he does a good job as Tony's dad. Yeah, um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I, I really like Howard Stark. And there was a, a moment in this film a little bit later, it was very touching to me, and I think it was to you as well. But um, was this his only role as Howard Stark? I don't believe so. Because we have a younger Howard Stark in, in, in Cap. Cap. Yeah, we have a – which – I don't know how the time lapse in there happened, like how much. Oh, he he does. He uh, I I remember right now without having to look it up in Endgame. Oh yeah, he runs into him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So director Johnny Fabs, my boy. In our last pod, we definitely dug deep into his career and what an obvious fan I am of him. Graham is a fan of both MCU and Star Wars. What has our boy Johnny Favs brought into these universes? Not only as Happy Hogan, but also in the Star Wars universe with the Mandalorian. And da- and Dad, for when you listen to this, Johnny Favs is John Favreau, the director. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get through uh, Mr. Luke's uh, terminology here, uh, you know what? He's a great resource to have around, uh, and. I think his best work right now is being done in the Star Wars franchise. Iron Man 2 is not his best, but as we talked about, there was interference from corporate, you know, of them wanting to um, intertwine that shield, you know, um, elements into the movie. And, and maybe John wasn't ready to go that route yet. And apparently, you know, this that whole deal made him so mad that he didn't want to come back for Iron Man 3. But I just think he's a jewel. Um I started watching the, um, oh, what's it called? It's the making of the Mandalorian series. It's on Disney Plus right the now. The gallery. Yeah, the gallery. And just one episode. He's just, a, I mean, a huge resource when it comes to Marvel Comic Universe and Star Wars. And um, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Just, you know. Not every movie is going to be a huge success in terms of uh, critically, I guess. I mean, obviously it was a big financial success, Iron Man 2, but, um, you know, you can't hit a home run every time with all these things. 
And I'm glad he at least stuck around and had a larger acting roles further down the line. And like, this wasn't actually the hundred percent it for him. So that was at least good for the MCU. He didn't actually write this one though. He brings in Justin Thoreau. Uh, so if I showed people out there listening, a pick of our guy here, you go, Oh yeah, that guy, him, him. I've seen him. I've watched him in something. And you'd probably try to think about what you've seen him in. And chances are you may have, he's been in stuff like Mulholland drive early on his career. He's been in both Zoolanders. One of them, he he also had the writing part in. I've Charlie's, never seen either of the Zoolanders. Wow. You know, the second one, it's not as great. But as a younger kid, when the first one came out, it was, to us, one of the, like the most hilarious movies of the time. Anytime you get Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson together, it's usually a fun watch. And Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, he's one of the main villains. He did Six Feet Under on HBO. He did Parks and Recs. He did three seasons of The Leftovers. He even has an appearance in Joker. And then most recently, he is the voice of Tramp in Lady and the Tramp, the live-action Disney film. He's parlayed, you know, he's put in 60 acting credits that he's parlayed into a screenplay writing career. He did Tropic Thunder. He did this, Rock of Ages. Uh, not necessarily a career of extreme praise, but there are movies and TV shows in there. He's had a, you know, he's added a great appearance. Tropical Tropic Thunder for me at 18 was hilarious. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was unbelievable, and so were a lot of the Tom Cruise's role in it. Even made me laugh. Yeah, so you know this is just not acceptable. How have you still not watched Parks and Rec yet? Oh my goodness! You know, in this COVID. 19 universe there are so many things streaming and so many people suggesting there's only i know time's the only excuse we all have but unlike any time ever before in history there's so many things to watch with this time we've been given and i just haven't devoted the time into that series yet as a school teacher slash coach are there going to be opportunities for me to binge? Absolutely. I have, on record, I binged six seasons of Game of Thrones once in a summer. I'm sure I can roll <laughs> through some Parks and Rec. Well, let me tell you, you won't be disappointed. I do a whole podcast devoted to Parks and Rec. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Chris Pratt's in there, Star-Lord. So how could you, how could you go wrong with that? So, I love, I mean, I, I know who's in it, and I love all the people. Isn't Rob Lowe in it? Rob Lowe's in it, yeah. I mean, how can you go wrong with Rob Lowe? So let's, let's take a break for a quick word from our sponsor. Let's go into trivia night. So like we've kind of been hinting at, Favreau had so much friction with the Marvel higher-ups, and due to their constant intervention into the films, and all the rewrites they made happen, in particular, all of the different prominence of S.H.I.E.L.D. subplot, they were the result of the studio, and, you know, they wanted to get it streamlined for Avengers, and he didn't like all of that micromanaging. In fact, this led to him stepping down and never directing again. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, interesting note, he wasn't going to return. Can you imagine the universe without Samuel L. Jackson in it. I cannot. And that is frightening. It'd be a, it'd be a huge loss. Like they wrote like Nick Fury in him. I can't, I, I can't even think of a backup choice and he almost didn't do it because 
He wanted more screen time and he was promised more screen time. So before this movie, he signs a nine picture deal. I don't have any information on how much he was given, but I imagine it was a large sum of money. Yeah. And some of those pictures are minor type roles, you know, like just small appearance here and there. Yeah, this was, you know, obviously this is on the third film that had been put out. He has a lot bigger role, but it's still not even, it's like, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, and he was upset about, you know, he thought he was going to have a bigger role, I think, in Iron Man 1. Yeah. And it was just very small, so. Uh, Another bit of uh, trivia for Trivia Night. The Hammer Industries factory is really Elon Musk's SpaceX facility. Which blows my mind because I didn't realize that SpaceX had been around for over a decade. Uh, the people walking around are actual employees. And it's, uh, it's awesome that they have this because we also get the cameo of Musk later on in the movie. Yeah, I, I think I had read that part before, you know. And there's a lot of funny stuff going around now about Elon Musk and Kyle and Thanos and all that stuff I don't, oh I don't yeah you've seen any of that stuff it's i've funny. seen his, his the the name that he was given he's given to his newborn son <laughs> it's got a lot of letters it's got a number in it it's very unique he's a very <laughs> unique individual so the last trivia night is you know it's been confirmed by notorious blabbermouth tom holland tom holland who plays our boy peter parker aka spider-man that in this film the little boy at Stark Expo that's wearing the Iron Man helmet or mask when he's almost attacked by a drone, he claims that is, in fact, a young Peter Parker. See, I, I just told, you know, I've, I read that, too, in the trivia. And, I mean, but there's nothing in the movie that really hints at that. There's, there's I mean, and they've not gone back and revisited that part of it, either. I wish they had snuck like an Easter egg into homecoming of like that mask being in his bedroom or something. If you're going to come full circle on this, it's fun to think it could be true. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a neat, it's a neat thought, but there's nothing we we've got really to back that up other than Tom Holland says so. And yeah, he's like I said, notorious that they wouldn't even tell him like extreme plot details because they know when he speaks to press, he leaks so many things. Uh, so let's get into the rundown. So as we always like to say, this is spoiler heavy as we go through different sequences and we discuss some of our favorite parts about those sequences. So the film opens with our normal Marvel opening with the normal crawl and we get to hear Tony Stark's press conference from Iron Man 1 in the background. We get a graphic showing us that the opening will be is in Moscow. And we see this man, he's watching the press conference on television. He calls out to this other man who sits by this door, kind of isolated from him. This man is Ivan Vanko, our villain, Mickey Rourke. And he walks over to who we find out is his dying father, and he watches him pass. Ivan immediately looks determined to get to work, and he pulls out these blueprints that have his dad's name and Tony's name on them. And then on Tony's this, dad's name. Yes, yes. So yeah, Howard Stark's name and Anton Vanko's name, both on the blueprints. And then we get this weird like serial killer vibe because he's got this bulletin board with all these clippings of Tony Stark on them, the same ones that we've got to see in Iron Man 1. 
and he begins to work on some type of project and it looks at the scene is very reminiscent to Tony in that cave, just like banging away at stuff. And then finally we get to see he has created his own arc reactor and he laughs diabolically. <laughs> That's our first intro into our boy, Mickey Rourke. Flash six months later and Tony stands in this cargo plane and this captain tells him, you know, we're ready for the drop point. And he opens the door and he jumps out. And all of a sudden, we get to see fireworks shooting out into the sky. You know, some of them hit him. There's music blaring. And, and Tony's back, baby. I just love this whole sequence. I wish they would start it here and not the Moscow stuff. Because even on rewatch, I'm like, yeah, shoot the thrill, baby. How'd you yeah, feel? Yeah, great song choice there, which they bring back uh, in Avengers when he uh, gets onto the scene with Loki and Cap in um outside that museum i don't know yeah. if you remember that yeah yeah that's why you know cap and loki are fighting and it's kind of a almost a draw but then you get to hear the song blaring and they all look around and he flies in he pretty much ends everything when he lands on that stage he's in front of a huge crowd and he's got these women around him that are dancing and it's very like patriotic. It reminds me so much of Apollo Creed in Rocky four when he fights. Um, I think his name was Drago, which is very, yeah, the, the Russian <laughs> the, uh, Dra Ivan Drago, I think was Dolph his Lundgren. name. And it, it's very similar. Like all his showmanship, you know, he's full Tony. He takes the suit off. He goes classic full narcissist. And he explains that they're going to kick off a Stark Expo, which is one year of events that will show off all these innovations. And then he plays this old clip of his father uh, when he ran Stark Expo. And it, and it kind of gives us that first dive into some of Tony's motivations as a man that he thought so highly of his father. He shows this clip in front of everyone. Yeah, and, <clears throat> you know, then we get to the – the part that really kind of caught me off guard on the, on the rewatch when he, I'd forgotten about the whole blood toxicity part where he checks his blood and it's 19%. I had forgotten all about that part of the, the movie. And so it was kind of a, a, you know, stunning reminder of where we were going with this. Yeah. When it first, so I'm with you when he first does the prick, it shows the 19%. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's got to figure out because, you know, later on we'll get into about what's going on with them. I'm like, I completely forgot that was part of the plot. So yeah. Happy and Tony, after that occurs, they make their way through an adoring audience, and then there's a reporter outside in an Olivia Munn cameo. She ends up playing in X-Men movies, so I'm glad uh, they. That's a, that was a huge – I was like, wow, she's in this? Um and then Happy and Tony, they get to the car, and there's a woman waiting for him, and it's Kate Mara, uh, who's House of Cards fame, also the daughter of the famous Mara family who owns the New York Giants, and she serves him with a subpoena to testify in a Senate defense hearing. And you know, why does Tony hate not being handed things so much? I don't understand that. Just a little tick about him, I guess. You know, We That's... all have them. Yeah, that's a very interesting. I don't know if I've ever met someone that's like I don't like being. Nick handed. Fury can't eat diagonal toast. I mean, just some oh, weird things. True. Nice callback to our Captain Marvel pod. So the next day at the hearing, Tony's questioned by a Senator Stern, who demands he turns over the Iron Man suit, and Tony refuses and gives this very defiant speech. 
the Senate calls their expert in quotation marks witnesses because Tony challenges his expertise. And it's Justin Hammer, who is the government contractor for weaponry. And Hammer gives his testimony, but Tony gaffs at it and makes all of his snide remarks. But then the Senate calls in Colonel Rhodes. And this is our first shot where we get to see Don Cheadle. And this was intentional on the screenplay for the line that he uses. He looks at Tony, which it's almost like he's looking at us as the audience. He says, I'm here now. Get over it. And that was supposed to be a not-so-subtle barb to show that, yes, we replaced the character. Get over it. Let's go on. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. But when they showed him walking in very deliberately from the back, you know, I figured that you know, that was a, their way of saying, this is our new Colonel Rhodes. Yeah. You know? that- you know, and it didn't really, you know, there's other instances in movies and television where they've entirely replaced some character and, and it's messed with fans. And I did, this didn't make me, even the first time I watched, it, I didn't pause and go, oh, this is weird. It makes no sense. I mean, they just replaced a guy. It's still the same character. It's just a different person playing. I mean, it. when you replace Katie Holmes with Maggie Gyllenhaal as uh, Rachel Dawes in the Batman franchise, I mean, come on. That, that well, I don't know about that that casting choice, but the move that movie was there was nothing that was going to ruin that movie with Heath Ledger. So, Rhodey, you know, he's coerced, he has this detailed report, but he has to give a one line from it, even though it's very detailed. And the one line it kind of hurts Tony's case. Uh, and he tries to explain the back, you know, what that one quote goes on to say, but you know, they cut him off. And then he discusses how other people around the world are trying to create their own weapon suits. And he, they pull up the screen and Tony just hijacks it. He's got his like own version of a Chromecast in 2010. And he's just showing his own stuff up there. And he gets this hilarious clip of all these different countries and their failed attempts, including our boy, Justin Hammer, who just it looked like the guy's necks snapped in half. Like had that guy not got that die. <laughs> Yeah, and that was cool how he was able to um, hijack the the broad, you know, the the presentation, you know, just and it looked like something that was wouldn't have made sense in 2010. So it was even more amazing back then. I read that they had consulted some tech companies, and the tech companies were like, "Your first one, nothing seemed too over the top. Make it more over the top. If this guy's supposed to be." the greatest innovator make it where it looks almost unbelievable i mean i'm amazed whenever our it people can take over my computer from you know 45 minutes away and and make it sing and dance while i'm waiting on them to fix it you know it is fun to watch someone remote in and speaking of innovation and working on stuff we get to see ivan vanko he's in his little his little workshop and he's built his full, the whiplash suit or crimson dynamo. It's a combination of two from the comics. And that flashes to Tony at his workshop. And we get to see he's done some upgrades. There's a lot more tech. He's got Mark one through four set up in his workshop. And he checks his blood again. And this time it's at 24% toxicity. He throws back more chloroform. And we get this great quote from Jarvis as he pulls out that core that's smoking. And Jarvis is like, the irony, sir, is that the same thing keeping you alive is also killing you. And Pepper <laughs> walks in, and it's evident that she has no idea that that's going on. And they have this heated back and forth where 
And Tony, classic slick Tony's got champagne ready. He makes her the CEO of Stark Industries. And what an incredible line they throw in because we get to hear it all the way in Endgame. He says, it's you. It's always been you. I was shocked the first time I watched this when he makes her CEO. How about you? Yeah. Um, you just weren't expecting it in that moment. You know, I suppose you could have moved that one to the end after they had their kiss and all that, but then you might lose something out of, out of pepper in this movie where she's bossing him around the whole time. And you lose the, maybe some of the black widow assistant park. So Moving on to that, we get a scene where Tony, he's, you know, he's boxing with Happy. They're getting a workout in, and Pepper walks in with this young woman. We got Scarlett Johansson walking in, and, you know, she obviously catches Tony's eye, and she's from legal, and she's there to help expedite the process of making Pepper the CEO, and she says her name's Natalie Rushman. She goes into the ring with Happy while Tony does some research on her and sees her impressive resume, and as this happens you know, Happy keeps baiting her and she just drops him like straight Black Widow all the way into it. You know, and, and my lack of knowledge at that time, I didn't even think I knew that she was Black Widow at that point. Like, I, I just did not know. I, I like to go into these movies as cold as I can about them a lot of the time. And they and, didn't, like, if you look at the casting credits and how it's billed and, you know, nothing says Black Widow on it. It just says Natalie Rushman slash natasha romanoff so if you weren't an actual like big comic person you'd have no idea what that means well and i and i would imagine and i can't prove this but you know like going back into before the movies are released like take for example when star trek into darkness was released um benedict cumberbatch's character all we knew was his name was john harrison but everybody knew it was going to be con right Yes. They kept, but then, and that was what was suspected. But then um, <clears throat> we get to when IMDb releases the cast list, he's just John Harrison. They're like, oh, who is John Harrison? They go back and research every single Star Trek before that to figure out who John Harrison is. And then they, they, they spin it back in the movie where, you know, it's just a, a name for him. So they may have done something similar with that, with, uh, with Natalie Rushman. But, yeah, um, and by the way, I think that's an under underrated Star Trek movie. You may not believe agree with me, but I enjoy that movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's no Wrath of Khan, but it was no. fun. No, you mean that's Khan that's always going to live on in the through <laughs> all of the, all of eternity for Trekkies. So they arrive at Monaco at a hotel, and Tony has made Rushman his new assistant. And we get that Elon Musk cameo. Uh, Hammer interrupts Pepper and Tony, and he introduces or reintroduces Christine from Vanity Fair, who's an Iron Man 1, and she's doing an article on Hammer. Tony checks his to toxicity again, and he's up to 53%. While Pepper talks with Rushman, we suddenly see Tony on television firing his driver for the Grand Prix and entering the race. But we also see Ivan Vanko is part of a pit crew. He's wearing some type of track suit and he just steps right onto the track and reveals his full whiplash gear along with his arc reactor. He slices one car in half as he waits on Tony to come racing in pepper and happy. They're like, Oh, we got to come help him. So they, they get in the car and race towards them to try to deliver this, which I thought, and I still think it was, it was a great add in is this, that transportable briefcase suit. 
how they get innovative more and more in these movies on how he can carry device where he can change an Iron Man never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. What's not awesome is after Ivan cuts Tony's car in half and we get all those cars piling up behind him, I thought the CGI going on was terrible. And I'll get maybe more into that later. So happy, though, he races onto the track, and right when Ivan's about to probably kill Tony, he just, bam, slams right into him and pins him against the wall of the track. That's that's a, a hilarious sequence. Like it's a very crucial moment, but how funny is like, they can't get it together for like 30 seconds. Yeah. And you know, I'm with you on the whole case thing. Like, you know, they're, they're coming up with new and new ways for him to, to get into the suit. And, you know, even as far as like one time it shoots down from space. I mean, it's just awesome. Yes. I agree. This was like the first from a wristwatch. <laughs> Yes, where he just all of a sudden his whole it's it's incredible. It's all that nanotechnology that he pours money into. Uh, they finally get the case to him, and he he gets it on. And Ivan kind of gives it to him at first, but finally Tony rallies, but defeats him, rips the arc from him, destroys it, and as Ivan is finally dragged off by the finally arriving police, uh, he shouts, "You lose!" as blood pours from his mouth. Hammer looks on with a nice little evil smirk from the hotel watching on television. So Tony visits Vanko in jail, and we get one of my favorite scenes because we have this back and forth with them. Essentially, Ivan explains his motives along with, you know, how he, why he won today. And as Tony leaves, Ivan makes it known that he is aware of this whole toxicity thing. It was an interesting reveal and at first, it made it the Starks look like pretty bad dudes. I wonder how Ivan knew about the toxicity. Well, because he, he claims, or he uses the name of the element that Tony's using to power it. Oh, yeah, Lydia, yeah, yeah. Palladium or whatever. Yeah. So that, you know, he's a smart guy, uh, clearly. On Tony's private jet on their way back, we see Senator Stern on television. He goes on a rant about how Tony needs to, you know, give the suit to the government. Tony mutes it, and he has this big heart-to-heart with Pepper. But we get a flash to Ivan's jail cell, and he's delivered lunch with a note that alludes to the fact that these potatoes aren't normal potatoes, and it's a syntax grenade. A man looks who looks so much alike, Ivan, gets placed in his cell. He's got the same inmate number, and Ivan Ivan just drops him, opens the cell door, blows up the cell, faking his own death, and then with the help of a lot of Justin Hammer's men, or a few of them, he escapes from jail, and then he arrives at this airplane hangar for one of the most elaborate, over-the-top, I think kids would call it so extra, spreads that I've ever seen, and Hammer pitches him this deal. That and you know, Ivan only has one demand is that he wants his bird. So it's a that seems a rough watch for me. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't want to step too much into later. Well, it's a snap for me for sure, just to preview things to come, but or at least it could have been done better. And you know, why didn't he bring his dang bird with him? I always wondered that. So Right. I guess when you're traveling international, I know he had all the fake other fake paperwork, can't bring a bird with you. So Pepper meets with the press about what occurred in Monaco and Rhodes visits Tony 
And while Rhodey's visiting, we get Tony sitting in one of his speedsters or one of his drag cars, and he's looking up all this information on the Vancos. And we get some backstory with them. Rhodes tells Tony that he has to play ball with the government. You know, Tony's still being Tony. But then Rhodes has to help Tony out, and we get to see that Tony's he's hurting. And Rhodes realizes this. So that he sees the decay in the, in the reactor core, and he sees the decay of Tony's body. We get a flash sideways at Hammer Industries. Ivan gets a grand tour from Hammer, and Hammer shows him all his versions of the Iron Men. Uh, Ivan even rips the head off of one where Hammer gives us the amount of just one unit costing $125 million. Ivan agrees to help Hammer make his own Iron Man suits. Yeah, and, and you know, this, this is kind of where it, it starts to go off the wheels for me because – you know, Iron Man is the man in the suit, and his and to me, his suit is supposed to be unique and kind of one of a kind type thing. And now here he is, going to be fighting drones essentially, or other guys in suits. And you know, the, I was excited about him fighting um, the Whiplash character with the with all that because he wasn't really in a suit as much as he was just had those, those electrical whips, so to speak. And, you know, so you get to this part with these drones, you're like, really drones? Or at least that's how I felt a few nights ago when I'm, I watched. I'm it. with you. And I get into more of that when we get to villains hall of fame, but I'm with you. It would have been nice. Just stayed the course on the whiplash or crimson dynamo thing they were going for instead of, you know, a robot army is, which is essentially what we got, which Tony then parlays to creating his own version in later films. Yes. And, you know, we get into that in Iron Man three and, you know, it's just a little over the top, I think. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So Tony's contemplating not having his birthday party. Is it a birthday? It's a birthday party, right? Yeah. I never really sing happy birthday, but it's implied. But and he has this pretty like steamy conversation with Rushman, and she basically gets him to go for it. And at the party, he's a drunken mess. He's even wearing his Iron Man suit. So when Rhodes arrives, he is furious. Tony's shenanigans continue to spiral, and he drunkenly goes for a kiss from Pepper. After her rejection, he just starts blowing stuff up. And Rhodes has had enough. He goes down to the workshop, and he puts on the Mark II suit, and he shows back up, tells everyone to get out. And he and Tony start a nice battle sequence. They're tossing plates. They're tossing barbells. You know, they're swinging each other around. And they just cause complete chaos to that house. Now, are you ready for this? And this is a preview of things to come. But remarkably, this is a scene that is one of my favorites. And I would snap it at the same time. Interesting. Interesting take. <laughs> and I actually dive into a little bit about this of why they did the whole Tony drunkenness too. But yeah, it's a fun, the battle sequence, definitely fun. We even get the name, you know, everyone, some people think it's cheesy. I always love when like either a character's name or the movie names dropped or when Tony says, you want to be the war machine, you know, fully bringing to us that he, that Rhodes is in fact war machine. Is that the only time they ever say war machine? In the entire sequence? I, in the series, I think. I mean, the entire universe. It may be. There may be, like, 
I don't know. That's a great one. We'll have to. They always just call him Roadie. They don't call him War Machine. Right. This may be the only time, and he's like, he's doing it as a joke. Their fight ends with this huge blast after they try to shoot their ion cannons or whatever they are at each other. And all the guests are still there, which is amazing to me. And then Tony awakens and he watches Rhodes fly off with the suit. And it's shown that Rhodes, he flies to Edwards Air Force Base. And when he arrives, all the troops that are just in awe of this colonel flying in. And it's not Tony Stark. But that part lays into, I know you love this scene. The next day, Tony is eating inside of the famous Randy's Donut, which fortunately in my lifetime, I've gotten to eat there. Uh, you know, Fury arrives and he has one of your favorite quotes. I'll let you say it later. And this leads to this fun back and forth inside the restaurant. But Rushman shows up and Tony's informed that her real name is Natasha Romanoff and she's in her full black widow gear. It's revealed that Tony allowed Rhodes to take the suit and even gave him security clearance to do so. Fury hints that he has bigger issues going on in the Southwest region, a reference to Thor, which would be the next movie to come. Widow injects Tony with a lithium dioxide for a temporary solution because they're well aware of the issues going on with his heart. Great Fury, Romanoff, Coulson, Tony scene. Yeah, and we'll get into that more later with it being one of my favorites, but it gives a lot of insight, you know, into what's going on. So Hammer, he brings Ivan a bird. It's not his bird, but he checks on the suits, and he discovers that Ivan's creating drones, like we alluded to, and Hammer wanted, he wanted ones for real men, but Ivan convinces him that this is the most efficient way. So back at Ed Edwards Air Force Base, Rhodes shows the general the Mark II. He tells him that, Hammer's going to come to outfit the whole thing with weaponry. Back at the Stark mansion, Fury and Stark have this conversation where Fury lets Stark in a lot of different things, like that his father was a founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that he knows all about the heart issue and that he believes Tony can fix it. You know, Tony brings up how distant he and his dad were, but you know, Fury alludes to maybe he didn't understand his dad fully. And he gives him this entire trunk. And he says, the pro answer your problems is going to be in there. Natasha's going to remain undercover. And Coulson's left to babysit Stark. Rhodes, yeah. back at the Air Force Base, meets with Hammer. And Hammer gives him this elaborate speech and shows off his entire arsenal. And now Rhodey's suit is full war machine. Yeah, I'll take it all. Uh, yeah, I want all of it. everything. You just did all that, and I sat here with a straight face the whole time, but I, re I loved it all. Yeah. So Tony opens this trunk. We have blueprints, clippings, movie reels, and he, as he thumbs through an unfinished notebook of equation, the movie reel plays. And at the end of the reel, you know, the reel is his dad filming stuff or various things. At the end of it, he leaves a message for Tony, and Tony's now inspired, and he goes to Stark Industries to try to make amends with Pepper. He buys her these strawberries because he thought they had an important connection only to find out she's allergic. Not so slick, Tony. When Tony leaves the office, he stares at the city of the future model and he has a breakthrough. I don't know how that fits in his car and doesn't fly out. We'll get into that later. He takes it to his workshop and Jarvis scans the whole model. And through the computer simulation, Tony's, he's allowed to create this virtual new element. And he does this renovation job on his lab. And we get this fun scene with Coulson revealing the Captain America shield. 
And Colson tells Tony he's got to leave to New Mexico to handle the development there. So I felt like this whole scene was fun to watch, but it's just not very believable. Like, no, I don't think, you know, one day Howard Stark built the, you know, the Stark Expo uh, model with the idea of this is a new element and here it is. And we're hiding it, you know, in the blueprints of this. I just, you kind of find that it's difficult to go with huge stretch for sure but ultimately tony creates that particle accelerator or collider he creates a new element uh, hammer calls ivan for an update because his presentation at the x stark expo is that evening and ivan's like all they do is salute did we ever come up with a name for that element i don't think i don't think he says it i don't no, because when when they were talking about the elements with with fury there i was like is he talking about vibranium i just didn't remember you know was he going to put some vibranium in him or something but clearly not yeah just because jarvis says congratulations sir you've created a new element but like they don't name it so yeah interesting the whole whole part's pretty interesting uh hammer gets fired up that ivan hasn't done what he's supposed to do so he goes and puts him essentially under house, uh, house arrest but tony gets a call from ivan and we see both of Ivan's babysitter bodyguards are dead in the background. And so Tony fires up his new suit with his new core and, and he takes off. Pepper and Natasha, they arrive at the expo for the Hammer demo. And Hammer introduces all of his new drones, each uniquely designed for different branches of the military. And even Rhodes is introduced as the war machine. Ivan, though, back at Hammer Industries, he takes control of all the drones and Rhodes' suit as Tony flies in. And so they all start attacking Tony and it leads to this wild chase sequence. And Tony tries to get Jarvis to override all those different suits. Hammer gets confronted by Potts and we get black widow doing her thing. And she just interrogates him to find the whereabouts. And she says, happy, let's go. And they get in the car and they head to hammer industries for a terrific black widow fighting scene, which I love from the trailer too yeah um it's like it's like I can, in my count she takes down six guards to happy's one so it's like you get the fun stuff with him struggling and you get her just like just washing guys well, i think was i didn't really feel like he was struggling with him i mean he defeated him he and... did i guess i just i was it's all about relativity like she's just whipping through him and and it takes him the entire time to finally drop the one and he's so happy like, it's kind of like the um, Gimli and Legolas from Lord of the Rings, you know? Legolas is counting up how many guys he's shot down, and Gimli's like, four! And Legolas is like, I'm at 43! And... Yes, or he knocks down the gigantic <laughs> elephant thing, and he's like, that only counts as one! Uh, it's oh, good to tie... crossing universes. Yeah, I was going to say, it's good to tie sagas together. Uh, but back... At the expo, Tony's still trying to evade the suits. Natasha, when she gets the controls, Ivan is a no-show, so she hacks in and gives Rhodes full control. And the drones show up to confront Tony and Rhodes, and then they, you know, they have this battle sequence. They slice down and destroy most of the suits, partly because Tony uses what I'm calling ultimate kill, because I think it's later added into Iron Spider suit. It's like a similar thing that just like annihilates everything around him <laughs> hammer 
Hammer is arrested back at the expo stage, but Ivan arrives in his full whiplash, Iron Man, Crimson Dynamo, like they're just putting it all together, this huge this suit, and a battle takes place, and it's kind of a draw until, you know, Tony talks Rhodes into doing the same thing they did at the house and the, the this giant explosion, and it manages to kill Whiplash, but not before him, you know, saying one last time, you lose because all of the drones are set to explode. Tony flies across the campus. He finds Potts and saves her up before she dies. They go to a rooftop. They embrace in a kiss. Uh, she was trying to resign as CEO, but his romantic affection ended that conversation. After these events, though, Tony meets with Fury, who has a file on him from Romanoff. And the file states he is not recommended for Avengers Initiative due to his personality traits. Fury asks him to be a consultant, but Tony lets him know, you can't afford me. And the movie ends with Tony and Rhodes getting medals from the same Senator Stern from earlier, obviously the favor that Tony asked for, and he pins medals on both of our heroes. Yeah, that was a funny scene, too. And they had a they, good choice of music there on the on the 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 scene with Senator Stern, who is a real tool. I mean, no, he is just a tool. Not a, not a fan of him at all. The if they ever made a movie of Jerry Krause, he, he needs to be Jerry Krause. <laughs> <laughs> the mid credit scene shows Coulson showing up to a blast crater with Thor's hammer, just sitting no, right. I wouldn't say the name Mjolnir. Uh, yeah. I, I will always, I will forever butcher that you know i'm a lot better with stormbreaker when we get into ragnarok but minor or however you say it yeah it's sitting there in the crater yeah and you know my lack of knowledge at the time i i did not know that was thor's hammer i just didn't know it i mean i just my knowledge of marvel comics has grown exponentially over the years but in 2010 in the movie theater i had no idea I had to go home and look it up. Solely from the video game I brought up on our Iron Man 1 podcast. Because you use the hammer when you play with Thor. That's the only connection I had to it at that time. So Iron Man 2. We've talked about the rundown. Give me your five. We'll do five favorite moments. We'll go back and forth. Give me one of yours first. Okay, so five favorite moments. Let me get to my moments here on the script. So... I think my favorite one in the whole scene, in the whole movie, and this is just me, you know, action scenes can be eye-dropping and all that, but the, the, the one that really hit me was when Howard Stark is speaking to his son through a film reel made, you know, 30 years before that, and Tony has these doubts about the way his father felt about him, and then here's Howard coming clean about, you know, the, and I, I should have included this in my greatest uh, quotes, but you got to it first, but my greatest, you know, invention ever was you. I mean, it just really hits right to the soul. Power is very powerful. A hundred percent. Mine, I'll start with the opening scene at the Stark Expo. The whole Rocky Four vibe, just him cheesing it up. The music, that whole sequence. It's so entertaining for me. And the my wife could see my eyes light up when that whole scene <laughs> took place. Yeah. And, you know, I like that one, too. I, I just try not to duplicate too much if we don't have to on some of these scenes. Um, I like the scene at the donut shop, Randy's Donut Shop, which I've never been to. Um, 
I've heard you know different stories about that scene, and you know it was actually the donut shop's owner's idea to put Stark inside the donut. <laughs> wow, I think I read that on the trivia, but that's a cool scene with him and and Nick Fury and Black Widow, just really awesome. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's a fun scene when you see him because that donut is really iconic for for that area. Uh, the gel scene between Vanco and Tony. Their dialogue and how he just, I don't know, I'll say some of his quotes later on, but it, it was really that scene in the trailer that really got me fired up for what I thought Vanko's character was going to be. Yeah. Um, the scene where Tony figures out the new element we were talking about, you know, where he's kind of playing with the technology and you know, doing, you know, doing the virtual mock-up of the, the Star Kicks. I mean, is as I said before, it doesn't really um, have a whole lot of merit that that's what Howard Stark was trying to show him, but watching him do it was really cool. Agreed. It's one of mine as well, so I'll go into another one. I love the fight, the actual fight between Rhodes and Tony in the mansion at his birthday party. They tie in the music well. You know, it's kind of funny, yet at the same time, it has, you know, all right action sequence. I, I just love getting to see them kind of go at it for that first time. I was going to have that one as well, but since you listed it, I, I left it off. Um, the scene, you know, you, I'm almost positive this is going to be a snap for you, but I like the scene where uh, Ivan Vanko breaks out of jail. I thought that was pretty good. So, um, you know, the mashed potato bomb and, and all of that just, it's not that I hate, like, it's well shot and it's fun. I just, I'll explain later my issues with the scene. My last one, which I think is one you don't like, but I just like finally getting to see Tony and War Machine fight together. Not so much the sequence uh, with the drones and who they're fighting, but just watching them. Watching them team up, yeah. Yeah, they've known each other since MIT, so watching, you know, it's like two best buds, like, in their suits, fighting, it was a good watch for me. So we'll go into quotes. My first one, and I'm going to go with that Vanco one, he's kind of laughing, and, you know, he did the you lose, so Tony's wondering, like, what did I lose? And he goes, if you can make God bleed, people would cease to believe in him. There will be blood in the water. The sharks will come. And all I have to do is sit back and watch as the world consumes you. I was like, he's the Joker of the MCU right now. Just throwing these like bombs at him. Minus the weird accent. I just liked the quote. <laughs> yeah. Um, I go Nick Fury when he tell when he's, you know, they get done talking to Stark and he, he kind of leaves him with this one thought. I've got my eye on you, you know, with, with Nick Fury and his eye patch. I love, I love the Nick Fury and the eye patch is funny to me. And I love all the time, you know, he's not afraid to like make, like people make fun of it. Tony makes fun of it. Like what eye do I look at? So I love that he threw that back at him. That is a really good one. <laughs> um, I went and you kind of already, you talked about it in your scene, but yeah, Howard Stark's quote of what is and always will be my greatest creation is you. That's like, Boom, you know, for for any I young mean, man, that's all you ever really want to hear from your father. I mean, we're that, we're we're both definitely crying there. So yeah, I, it was like God. That's just 
in the totality of your lifetime, when it comes to your father as a young man, you just want them to be proud of you. And he's telling him like, I'm not there anymore, but you're it, man. Another along, along the um, many great lines that Pepper has to Tony, but you know, not everybody runs on pa- on batteries, Tony. <laughs> and, you know, she's always, you know, the proof that Tony Stark has a heart and all those, she's always kind of hitting at him right in the chops there. So yeah, their relationship's great. My last one is just, I wish I could do it as fast as Justin Hammer. I love when he's trying to sell Rhodey on the weapons and he brings up the last one. And he's like, these are the Cubans, baby. This is the Cohibas, the Monte Criscos. This is a kinetic kill sidewinder vehicle. He talks about the chemicals in it. It's capable of busting a bunker under the bunker that you just busted. If it were any smarter, I'd write a book, a book that would make Ulysses look like it was written in crayon. I would, it would read to you. This is my Eiffel Tower. This is, you know, he goes into all of these things. My favorite part is he talks about it reducing the population of any standing structure to zero. I call it the ex-wife. That, that I, was classic. <laughs> when he did that whole thing, I was like, that's an incredible sequence. You know, I, I really like the scene where, where Tony's, you know, I'm not a huge, well, I like it and hate it all at the same time, but at Tony's birthday party where he's in the Iron Man suit and says, people want to know all the time. How do you go to the bathroom in the suit? And then he kind of pauses. And he goes, oh, just like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love toilet humor. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, and I already hinted at one of my other favorite quotes when we opened with the Coulson super nanny quote. What's one, what are a couple more of yours? Um, you know, when Nick Fury says, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. That that was it, pretty funny. It was a good intro of Fury because you don't see him when he says it, right? It kind of pans yeah. to him. And then one more, I just added a late ad when Tony told Pepper that he successfully privatized world peace. That was, or maybe it wasn't Pepper he told that to. I, he does I, it I, at the uh, at the Senate hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he even does like a, he holds up like a Richard Nixon, I'm not a crook, peace signs when he does it. Yeah. So the Doctor Strange What If Universe, this is where we discuss casting possibilities or potentially who we could have cast instead, just picking a name from Hollywood. We'll start with Stark. We talked about it last time. Sam Rockwell was discussed to be Iron Man 1 in the What If Universe. And remember for our listeners, we're doing the What If Universe because Disney Plus is going to release an animated series called the What If Universe where they do different universes where different things have happened. So my question to you, if we put we make Robert Downey Jr. Justin Hammer and we make Sam Rockwell Iron Man, do you, do you like that movie? No, I don't <laughs> even want to go there. No. It could have. It could have been. I mean, obviously. Do you want to go there? I do. I think Rockwell has the chops as an actor to be able to be that narcissistic cockiness side to him. Yes. Do I think he would have done it as well as as Robert Downey Jr.? No. Do I prefer Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man? Yes. But. All right. I will say that the studio left the open-ended Sam Rockwell when he only gets arrested. They didn't kill him off because there was talk about possibly bringing him back one day because they did like his performance. 
Black Nobody Widow. would remember who he is, though. It's just been so long. Oh, you know? now it's yeah, now it's done. If Everybody had to go back and watch Iron Man two or listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, Black Widow. We've talked about this poor woman that I'm about to mention time and time again. There are rumors about her playing Susan Storm later on in a project, but Emily Blunt was a done deal. But due to a contractual obligation with Fox Studios. She could not be in this film. And that opened up the door for our girl, Scarlett Johansson. I can't say it was a bad thing that it happened. Nah, neither can I. Some of the other names, Natalie Portman, which she is in the Thor universe. uh, You know, but I don't even have to list the other names because Scarlett Johansson has absolutely killed it. Whiplash. Oh, yeah. Whiplash. We have no rumors. I can't find anyone else they were considering outside of Mickey Rourke. So I'm doing my own what if. Vigo Mortensen. I think he does a better Russian accent, which he already has shown he can do in a movie, Eastern Provinces. And he's a better actor overall. Do you like Vigo being our whiplash? I do like this, actually. It would have been interesting to see him in a role like that. And one I was just thinking about, you know, how about our boy Jared Leto? Oh, yeah. I think he could have pulled that off. He's, he's a he's, I mean, he's an amazing actor as well. Uh, Tony Stark questions corner. This is the why, the what. Doesn't make sense to us. The plot holes. There's a lot in this movie, and I could add a lot longer list, but I tried. I tried to. I, you know, I had about ten more, so I kept it as this. <laughs> For me, the prison escape is is. I just don't see it working. Not that, you know, the power of money being able to buy people off and, and that, you know, not, but how could just, I just don't foresee no one, including S.H.I.E.L.D., like S.H.I.E.L.D. not knowing that he had escaped, not being able to find out the problem with this whole escape. It just didn't make sense that, you know, Nick Fury wouldn't have been like, uh, the dude's still alive. Yeah. Uh, one for me, and you know, I give you my thoughts. I, I like the prison escape scene, but I understand what you're saying. Um, one thing, one for me is that, you know, there's Tony Stark supposed to be like the smartest dude on the planet. Right. And yet people keep developing technology that's equal or superior to what he's doing. What the heck, man? You know, it's a rough look uh, for our guy who sits in the Senate hearing and is like, they're five years away from developing this stuff. And then boom. Yeah. And, like, we, you know, in in this particular instance, we have the, you know, the the setting where Ivan uh, Vanko is making his, and it's dark and dingy, and, you know, it just looks kind of, um, the resources just aren't what, what Tony would have had at his disposal. And, yeah, he's making as good a stuff as Tony has. It just doesn't. Yeah, it would have looked more like the Mark I that Tony used to get out of the cave is what the lab that Vanko is working in looks like. I'm, I, I have question. Okay, so you're extremely rich, Justin Hammer, yet you're going to eat a non-dairy GMO vegan gelato from San Francisco while you're in Monaco. What is that? You know, I've, I have been to Italy and have had gelato from there. 
yet he flies in gelato from San Francisco of all places while he's in Monaco. It's, it's a head scratcher for me. Yeah. I, you know, um, <laughs> the people that fly in their food that day, you know, just, I think the whole point was just to, to speak of the, the wealth and resources he has, but exactly like, is San Francisco famous for their gelato too? I, I don't know. Um, Apparently. You know. And the this was ahead of the game on the non-dairy GMO stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have this on the notes, but um, I'll go ahead and put it, throw it in there. Because I think my, my second one, how can all these people be as smart as Tony too? I think that kind of fits in with what I said about Ivan Vanko, But, Oh, the whole thing with Howard Stark and the, you know, him making the 3D version of the model and their computerized version of the, the Stark Expo model. I just, you know, it was fun to watch, but it just doesn't add up. Yes, there's several things that don't add up. One for me being you're six months removed from telling the whole world that you are Iron Man, yet you're going to get inside of a Formula One race car and not have the suit somewhere close to you. Like the whole world, you if you're in the public, there's going to be people coming after you. I guess he's just that arrogant. My other thing with suits is, how's the Mark II still functional? And why wouldn't Rhodes just take the Mark III? Is it because it looked like Iron Man, and so he grabbed the Mark II because it didn't have any paint on it? I guess. I mean... didn't make sense to me. The biggest thing for me is the element sequence, like you. One, the how unrealistic it is that that whole model was supposed to be an element. But how does Tony, in one day's time, he goes to visit Pepper, he drives that model back, he renovate, like changes up his whole lab and creates an element, and all this takes place in one day. And we know it's one day because they discuss when he's with Pepper that she is going to the expo to see Justin Hammer's display. How does he do that? I don't, it just, it's incredible. That was too far-fetched for me. (laughs) I never thought about it like that, but, you know, that's, that's about right. It's like a, you know, who knows what the drive is from Stark to to Malibu anyway. It's just, and and the fact that Coulson wouldn't have known he left, that kind of blew my mind. So let's get into the snap. What would you snap from this movie? I'll lead off with one and then you can go. I am snapping the Whiplash Crimson Dynamo Russian accent Mickey Rourke villain. They took two different comic book villains to make it into one character. And then they loosely adapted it to be the Russian, the son of Anton. It wasn't a win for me. Man, that's, that is, uh, that's a tough snap there. You know, you'd have to completely redo the story by, you know, you might as well not even have the movie. Well, I'm thinking more along the lines, just pick one. Either pick Whiplash or pick Crimson Dynamo. Don't combine two comic villains into one character. I got you there. You know, I'm snapping 
Tony's birthday party where he just acts like a drunken idiot blowing his house to bits. I mean, there's some entertaining stuff in there, but man, that's not how I want my superheroes to be portraying themselves. You know, I, you know I'm over Tony Stark acting like a jerk. The reason they did that is there is a comic book arc where he essentially becomes an alcoholic and has a spiral down into this like deep, almost depression. And I guess this was their version of trying to tie that in, but it's hard to, you know, if you show the alcoholic part, maybe you show more leading up to it than just the one party. So I'm with you. That was a real little over the top. Do you think they were trying to cram so many things in there because they didn't know what exactly the future held for these characters? Like, you know, at that time, they didn't know they would be 23 movies strong. Yeah, Let's well, cram as much in as we can. That's know? one of my next snaps is that I love S.H.I.E.L.D., but this is, when you think of solo films, this has almost the most S.H.I.E.L.D. in it outside of, like, what, Winter Soldier and Marvel, Captain Marvel. Uh, I know they had the pressure from the studio, but I would have liked little breadcrumbs of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, here 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 but i guess they had to fast line it because apparently they knew that avengers was right around the corner and you had a lot of shield and thor too but yeah um and we'll get into that next week i guess um you know i'm snapping the scene well i don't know if i should call it a snap or a rewrite but the scene of in in the the hangar with hammer and vonko and the gelato the scene could have been better. I mean, maybe maybe Vanko needs to have some gelato. You know, maybe they, they can... gave him wine. But yeah, golly, there's like he only he speaks limited English, which I guess makes sense. And they don't have like a deep. I wish he had more dialogue in that scene. I'm I'm with you. It doesn't really build up. It's it's more comic than like dramatic effect going on. There need to be more there. It just kind of all he wants is his bird. Uh, yeah so i'm snapping the this all the plot too many plot holes in sequences that are too far-fetched for me the first one and i understand this is a comic book universe you can have some artistic license but when it comes to some of the plots some of the plot is just and there's a reason this isn't one of them you know didn't get the accolade or claim or the fan vote that Iron Man one did. Yeah. Any more for you? Um, I am snapping the end action sequence with all those drones. Uh, I do like the part where Rhodes and, and Iron Man are kind of working together, but you know, it, that's just, it just kind of, you know, on the rewatch, I was just thinking, man, they, they could do so much better than this. You know, I'm tired of him fighting drones I was, or other suits. I was with you on the whole robot drone thing. It's not my favorite watch. But speaking of villains, we're now going to go into our Villains Hall of Fame, where Graham and I rank the villains from every MCU film. Where are so, you ranking? I just went ahead and went with Fanko as my main villain. So... Who did you choose or what's your ranking? I've got him. I've got Vanco too. And I've got him down at number 21. Um, you know, I've got, 
I've got him below Jude. You know, so we've done um, Red Skull. We, uh, he was he's at number seven. We've done uh, Jude Law from Captain Marvel. I've got him at number fourteen. Um, Jeff Bridges from Iron Man One. I've got him at number nineteen, and I've actually got Colonel Ross as my main villain from Hulk more so than Abomination. I have it number 17, but I've got this one at number 21. Um, just, it just doesn't do it for me. Maybe it's the accent. Maybe if they could have gotten the accent better, you know, maybe that would have made things better. I, I'm not far off from you. In fact, I'm right next to you. I have him at 22. So our guy, Jan Rogue, from Captain Marvel or Ariane Rugg, I had him at 22. So I've actually, the first time in MC Quarantine Gauntlet history, I have I have bumped the guy to a different spot. So he's going to move to 21 for me. We're yeah. going to slide in Vanko to 22. So he's going to be in between Jude Law and in between the Abomination. Oh, man. And these, you know, I think these are definitely, we're able to adjust these as we go, you know. You see all these movies, you know, in such a short span of time, and, and you're going to have to make some adjustments. And for those of you out there that heard the Hulk pod, you know my disdain for the abomination. But our boy Vanko here, he, he's second to last for a reason, and I'm with you. The bad accent is it's just terrible. There's an undeveloped arc. And just a poor job by our boy Rourke, but apparently he's on record saying that the writer and our boy Johnny Favs, that they had a deeper dive into the character that allowed for more development, more dialogue, uh, a better feel for his motivations and his villainy. And they had this deeper, darker script that was going to use his suffering to connect with some of his madness. And I love that in films, but that's not in this film. So he's 22 for me. I, you know, we're, we're, again, we're kind of sort of on the same par there. So we're, hey, we, we were close. We weren't close on uh, Obadiah Stane, but we are close on this one. So speaking of rankings, our biggest rank, the infinity rank, where do you rank this among the whole 23? I'll go first actually this time. I, okay. I wanna, I'm curious to see your action on mine. Cause you know, I'm a huge Tony Stark fanboy. I have yes. it. I have it at 17. It's not my favorite. It's not even really mid-table. I love Robert Downey Jr. I even loved Rockwell, but there's a reason our boy Favs checked out and didn't do Iron Man 3. The studio hijacked a lot of this movie, and those decisions, uh, I think, ultimately cost this movie in the pantheon of MCU. You know, the knock-on sequels outside of, like, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Godfather 2 just come to mind immediately has always been that sequels sequels struggle to live up to the originals and this makes that list you have several great pieces there's moments I like and they continue to live on in the MCU like Black Widow great introduction she does great she rocks it carries on to all her other roles and she is one of the first kind of sidekick people to get her own solo film that we can't wait to watch but in my opinion uh, you try to combine too much from comics and with all the other shield stuff and it became convoluted and believe me this hurts me to say i'm one of the biggest iron man fans on earth 
But this is not Iron Man 1 for me, and it may be, and we'll see when we get to Iron Man 3, it may be even worse than that to me. It sets up the future well, but this is like, I'm going to use a baseball analogy. This is like a spot starter that gave the ace an extra day's rest so he could come out and throw just a gym. <laughs> there's too much plot. There's too many battles. And there there's was... a, it's just a bad villain. So it's 17. So I'm going to drop it down three spots, number 20. You know, and I think you know where I stand on Iron Man anyway. I just um I I gotta I gotta bump him down even even more. So and you know, then you know, we got we got Iron Man three to go still. <laughs> and so. for people listening, I'm the only one that's released I think they're number twenty three, because you didn't have Hulk at twenty three, correct? That is correct. I do not have yeah, Hulk so at 23. So my 23 is out there. We'll see where yours is because you've got two in the 20s you've thrown up. <laughs> for those of you keeping score at home. For those of you tracking, I'm, I keep my own little spreadsheet of tallies for us. Uh, we'll go to thoughts from our wives. Let's see what Amy had to say. Uh, I, don't, I don't think she – you know, she watched it with me, so I'm calling that a win. Um she, there were just lots of problems with it, she thought. and um, But there were a couple of scenes that she thought was pretty cool with uh, with Black Widow and um, a few things here and there with the technology Stark was doing. and But overall, I, you know, she wasn't overly impressed with it. And I wouldn't say mine was either. She, I mean, she, she enjoys the music. I like that they blend into these Iron Man movies, which is great. Um, and she, I think she enjoys Robert Downey Jr.'s um, his portrayal. But yeah, I did definitely. I think her my favorite reaction out of her is seeing like how well I react to some of the scenes. She knows <laughs> how much I like him. So She's watching you watch the movie. Yes, we'll go into yeah, a humble brag there. We'll go into miscellaneous items and final thoughts. The trailer, I thought going into this, this was going to be the next Dark Knight. Like, the trailer made it seem like Ivan Vanko was Heath Ledger Joker to me. Like, as far as tormented and just like this, you know, he just wants to watch the world burn type of guy. And it, think about what we're, what we're talking about there, too. Um, at that moment in time, the DC Universe was superior to what Marvel was doing. Yes. Because of all... Because... I believe, you know, you do have the Dark Knight, you know, trilogy that was in still in the making at that point. They're just about to come out with Man of Steel. I mean, DC was, and Marvel was not there. Mm -hmm. Boy, Marvel was coming. It's kind of interesting to think about. And that, you know, and ultimately they didn't go the same, you know, track as Dark Knight because Marvel movies aren't the darker universe. They're the more like fun. They picked their niche and they stuck with it. So that's why we didn't get that, which ultimately obviously was a great choice. Uh, scores, you know, we talked about the opening. We talked about the opening there with the you know, shoot to throw. That's, that's, I, that's for me, it's one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah. You got highway to hell in the, uh, at the end of it, a lot of good, um, good tracks in the, in the movie for sure yes what probably some of the best parts of it so ultimate letdowns 
for me I'll start. I'll no, start. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, just Tony having all these having to fight all these drones and men suits. I mean, you know, all that just doesn't give any substance to the villains they're fighting. You know, at least when they're fighting Thanos, they're fighting him. You know, because he's a titan. You know, he didn't he didn't really have didn't really need much help when he's fighting everybody. And I think it, your movies lose something when you're when when the good guys are wearing the suits of armor and the bad guys are too. So I've I just gotten tired of that, I think. I'm in on that. I'm also, you know, when my, I think I'm going to go to a comic thing here with Whiplash. I think it was a bad portrayal because it was more Crimson Dynamo. And then they just added in the Whiplash little things that he slings around. But the drunk Tony stuff, like the comics use that as a tool to show him like kind of shifting into this, this like suffering and tie it into like almost a depression. And this movie, they just give us him at a birthday party. Like that's not a deep dive into a rough time. I could understand watching him sink into a depression versus he's just being a jerk at a party and blowing stuff up in front of people. Like that's not who he had become already that would have been more of like an Iron Man one before he changes his lifestyle. And that was a huge letdown for me. I don't think we ever see that again. Right. So that's a good thing. Yes. Agreed. Final thoughts. I'm going to, I'll go first. I'll let you finish this off and we'll talk about what we're doing next. My final thoughts, this movie had several scenes and sequences that I love and has several that I don't. It has a cast of actors that on paper should have dominated, but like the 2004 Lakers, they fell short. ScarJo does her part and she does it well. There's nothing dis- to dislike about her. And obviously the student agreed with all the follow-up roles she got to take part in. And eventually she gets her own movie. I thought Robert Downey Jr. and Rockwell were great on screen. Uh, Cheadle was solid for War Machine. I think the studio robbed Favs and Thoreau of their vision and whatever they wanted to do with the film. And whenever someone overrides your personal vision and you're a writer, maybe I can get your opinion on this, but it'd be like you writing an article and then an editor looking at it and then essentially changing almost half of it. How would that make you feel? I mean, it may have happened in your career. Oh, definitely. And if that happens, your vision completely goes away and that would suck. As, as an editor and as a writer and, even photographers like, you know, your editor is trying to make, make your piece better. Okay. So usually it's nothing personal. You're trying to make the story better. You're trying to pick the best photo. What you, the photo you may be in love with, your editor might not be in love with. I've experienced this kind of stuff numerous times over my career and they've been on the other end of it too, where I'm the one who's tearing up something or picking a different photo because it's just a better photo and you have those arguments and i imagine it's a similar dynamic with the director and the studios and, and all of that i mean they're trying to do what they feel is best for all concerned and you know the the director or the writer they've got a personal vested interest in and they're one avenue it's it's tough yeah and kind of like this movie was tough for me to think that I didn't like it as much as I thought I once did. But hey, Avengers is right around the corner. Patience is hey, a virtue. And, you know, who knew at that time? Like, I, I certainly didn't what was to come. 
and, and if you think about too, the the actual release date. So we still had Thor coming up, and then we still had Captain America coming out as well. Even though we've already done that from the podcast perspective, the chronological order, but but in the terms of being released in the theaters, it was still to come. Um, my my final thoughts. I love the 04 Lakers reference, but I have to tell you, I was really happy to see the Pistons win that series in 2004. Um, I don't think this is a bad movie. I don't think it's great either. You know, like you said, there are a lot of parts of the movie I really, really like. And, um, you know, the you get the first appearance of Black Widow. You get the the dynamic with Tony and his father, which they, they continue to build on, you know, throughout the movies. And, and that's good stuff. And there's good stuff buried in a, a decent summer action flick that gets lost in all the rest of these great movies that Marvel's going to put out. And, you know, my ultimate judge is, do I own this movie? I do not own this movie. <laughs> so, um, you know. I was glad it was on Disney Plus, so I didn't have to uh, rent it. <laughs> yeah. I think I had it on Prime. Well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, next time, we'll be diving into another 2008 release, The Incredible Hulk, starring Edward Norton Jr., Liv Tyler, Tim Roth, and William Hurt. I'm Luke Shoemaker. He's Graham Thomas. We'll see you next time.